We're looking at chapter 9 tonight. Last week we saw uh, chapter 8. And last, last week basically what we saw was we saw that Israel rejected Samuel from ruling over them and they wanted a king, right? They wanted a leader, one who would go out before them and lead them into battle like other kings. Uh, like the other nations had. So, <clears throat> so that, that's what they were looking for. Now, uh, let's remember for a moment what it would mean to be a king in those times, right? <clears throat> First of all, you, you had to be a warrior. You had to be able to pick up a sword and go into battle and lead the army and rouse them up. That's what they wanted. They wanted somebody to actually take care uh, of, the, um, <clears throat> of the nations around them. You, you also, <clears throat> for them, you would need to be able to rule, because the king, remember, is an absolute ruler. He can do what he likes. Nobody can gainsay him. Uh, the king is in charge. He's going to be the boss and he's going to run. And if he says, put all the priests to death, which he will later on, you know what? It gets done. And nobody second guesses the king. So if you, if you were in that position, what kind of a king would you want? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, we're not going to go through it all because it would take us time. But what kind of a king would you want? What, what kind of a leader would you want? I have numerous books on leadership. All of them with different ideas in them, really. <clears throat> but what kind of a king would you want? Uh, Israel wanted a king, and God's going to give them a king here in Saul. Now, we know uh, <clears throat> from the rest of the story that uh, Saul turns out not to be a very good thing, king. We're going to see tonight, though, that he looked so promising. He looked so promising. He looked like he had it all stacked up. How could he fail? Right? So we need to remember that when we think of Saul. Saul was not just a dud, right? a filler in until David came around. Uh, he had it all going for him, but the problem is he had a fatal flaw. Right? He had a fatal flaw, and we won't get to his fatal flaw until uh, next week, but he has a fatal flaw. Tonight we're going to look at how good he was set as as being a king, right? So that's a word of prayer, and then we'll just dig in. Father, would you bless us tonight as we look to your word? Would you help us, Lord? Would you open our hearts uh, to receive all that you have for us and help me, Lord, as I preach it? And oh, Lord, may we be blessed. And Lord, what we're looking is we're looking to know you better and how you deal with your people and how you work in hearts and lives that, you, that we might know you uh, as you work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, Everything is settled down in chapter 8. Um, <clears throat> he heard the words of the people. He, re- he rehearsed them before the Lord. Uh, and um, everybody went home and settled down again. And then chapter 9 starts off with absolutely nothing to do uh, with a kingdom or a king, right? Apparently. Except in the mind and in the heart of God, right? Saul knows nothing about what's going to, go- going to happen. Uh, Samuel doesn't know what's going to happen at this point yet. Uh, God starts working things to actually, he's, he's, made, he's made his choice already. Uh, he's just got to pull it together now and bring it together, right? Now, there was a man of Benjamin uh, whose name was uh, Kish, uh, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, uh, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul. So here's our man. And he was a choice young man and a goodly, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upwards, he was higher than any of the people. All right? So Saul looked good. If you want t- tall, dark, and handsome ladies, Saul was it. Now, he was head and shoulders above everybody. He looked good. Uh, he had all the characteristics uh, that you would look for uh, in a leader. He was the kind of man that looked the part. 
Right? He really did. He, um, he looked the part. And the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. Lost. And Kish said to Saul, his son, take now uh, one of the servants with thee and arise and go seek the asses. Go seek the donkeys. Right? Now, here we have Saul. Saul's a man that's under submission. He's actually obedient to dad. Right? Uh, he's a man by this point, but he's still obedient. So he's a man that can be depended upon uh, in the small things, like to go looking for the, for the donkeys. And so off he goes. Uh, and he passed through Mount Ephraim, and he passed through the land of Shalisha, but they found them not. Uh, then they passed through the land of Shalem, and there they, and they were not, and there they were not. And he passed through the land of Benjamin, uh, the Benjamites, but they found them not. And when they were come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant that was with him, Come, and let us return, lest, any, lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. Saul's sensitive enough to care about the fact that him being gone for so long is going to be disturbing to dad, right? So he's sensitive enough. So he's, he's racking them up now, isn't he? Uh, he's good looking. He looks the part. He's obedient. Uh, he is sensitive. You know, <clears throat> he's caring for his father. Uh, and he said unto him, his servant, behold now, there, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he saith Cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither peradventure. He can show us our way that we should go. I then said Saul to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels, and there is not a present to bring to the man of God. Uh, what have we? And the servant answered Saul and said, Behold, uh, I have here at hand a fourth part of a shekel of silver. That, that will I give to the man of God to tell us our way. Before time in Israel, when a man went to, to inquire of God, Thus he spake, Come and let us go to the seer, for he that is now called a prophet was before that time called a seer. Uh, and then said Saul to his servant, Well said, let us go. So they went unto the city where the man of God was. Now, they don't even know the name of the man of God. Uh, <clears throat> the man of God is Samuel here. But, <clears throat> but Saul is of the opinion that they should go back because his father is going to be worrying about him now uh, and not about the asses anymore. And so he, so he says it to the servant, and the servant says, hang on a minute, there's one thing we haven't tried. Let's go see the seer. Let's go see God's man in the situation. And Saul uh, takes the advice. Right? So now here we have some, Saul is actually, he's, he, he's workable. He can, you can actually talk to him and he will listen to you. Uh, he's not an arrogant kind of a leader, which would again have been a strong point for him, which would again have been something that would help him, right? <clears throat> then said Saul to his, <laughs> sorry, verse 11, And as they went up the hill to the city, they found young maidens going out to draw water and said unto them, Is the seer here? And they answered them and said, He is, behold, he is uh, before you. Make haste now, for he came today to the city, for there is a sacrifice of the people today in the high place. As soon as ye be come into the city, ye shall straightway find him before uh, he go up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat until he come, because he doth bless the sacrifice, and afterwards they uh, eat that be bidden. Now therefore get you up, for about this time ye shall find him. And they went up into the city, and when they came to the city, behold, Samuel came out against them for to go up to the high place. Now look at verse 15. All, I've read all that to, to get to this, right? Now the Lord said unto Sam, the Lord had told Samuel uh, in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, uh, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come up to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, that the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake thee of, this same shall reign over my people. 
Right, now here's, here's what I want to point out to you. Do you realize that the asses going missing were all part of God's plan? That where Saul went was all part of God's plan. That everything that happened along the way to bring Saul to the place where he was actually standing before Samuel was all part of God's plan. It was not part of Saul's plan. It was not part of Samuel's plan. God was in charge of all the minute details, and we see it here. We see that God was in charge. God was orchestrating all of this. Uh, He was going to bring uh, Saul to Samuel. He was going to have Saul anointed. And he had it all planned and all worked out, even though nobody knew about it at all. Now, let me ask a question. Do you think that God's that involved in your life? Well, you're not going to be a king of Israel, are you? So maybe God's not that interested in your life. Do you think God's that interested in your life? Do you think God actually works in your life all the time? You know, when, when, when we see good things happen, we want to give God the glory for the good things that happen, don't we? You know, we, we want to say, well, you know what? And when we don't see good things happen, we want to let God off the hook, and we want to say, well, you know what? Uh, things are not happening, so, um, <clears throat> you know, what? God, uh, it, it just isn't happening. But you know what? God's intimately involved in everything in your life. There are no happen chances. There is no such thing as Look in your life. It's not there. Right? Now look with me uh, at Matthew chapter 10. Keep your finger in Samuel because we're, we're coming back to Samuel. But I want to show you something in, in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10 and verse 28 we're going to start. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. Right? And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, that's kind of gruesome. We don't, we don't want to go there, but that's, uh, God says we're not supposed to fear them. Then he says, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. You know what? There's sparrows all over this world. Everywhere you go, you find sparrows. They're the most insignificant of little creatures. They're there. They're everywhere. Uh, they feed on scraps of bread and uh, whatever they can get wherever they go. They're insignificant little creatures. Right? <clears throat> you know, who, who would bother to count the sparrows in the world? They, they don't matter to us. They're just sparrows. I mean, if a sparrow f- if <clears throat> uh, falls uh, dead outside your place, you put them in the bin and move on. You don't have a funeral or anything for them. It's just a sparrow. But do you know there's not a sparrow ever falls from the earth apart from God saying, it's time now. Which means that God is involved in the death of every sparrow that falls from the heavens. That's incredible. That's, that's incredible detail. You talk about micromanaging. That is micromanaging on a scale like we have absolutely no clue about. God is intimately involved in everything that happens in his creation. All right, look at the next verse here. Um, But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. What does that mean? Do you know how many hairs you have in your head? You'd be in bad shape for hairs if you were able to count them, wouldn't you? you, You can't count them. You don't know how many hairs there are in your head. I, I, nobody's going to count them for you. Do you know that God has counted them? 
God knows how many hairs there are on your head. There's not one of you in this room that God has to say, oh, good night, let me, let me, let me get an inquiry going until I find out how many hairs, hairs are on his head. God has counted the hairs on your head. That's micromanaging on a scale that's, that's incredible to us. Now, <clears throat> what's Jesus saying? He's saying, fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. But what are, what are we seeing there? We're seeing God is involved in every detail of your life. Nothing's happening that God's not involved in. Absolutely nothing is happening that God's not involved in. Just in the same way as Saul goes out looking for donkeys. What he's going to do is he's going to find a crown. God's got a plan. Nothing is happening in your life uh, that's just by accident. God is involved in everything. You've got to get your mind around that. Because don't we so often feel like, no... I'm just living my my boring day by day life, and you know, and there's no, nothing nothing serious happening at all. It's just me trudging through it and making it happen. That's not true. God's involved. This week, challenges are going to come into your life that are not just people who are trying to annoy you. Challenges are going to come into your life that God is putting into your life. Now, by the way, doesn't that change it? If it's just people bothering you, so just get over it. But if God has put it in your life, it changes what's happening in your life. But challenges are going to come into your life this week that are from God. Some of you are waiting for God to do things in your life. You know, listen, God is well able to do them. God is well able to do them. He has no problem doing them. You know, uh, Israel wanted a king. God sorted it. And he wanted a king, and God worked it out. God, God brought it about. God made it happen for them. God is able to work things out in your life. Sometimes he works things out the way you want, doesn't he? And you're, hey, that's good. Those are good days for your faith, aren't they? When God gives you what you want, and it works out the way you want. And other days he doesn't do that. Other days he works it out in ways that you don't want. Other days he works it out in, in ways that just are awkward and hard for you. Now, here's what you've got to do. You've got to come to the place where you understand, oh, no, everything in my life is in his hands. Everything that happens in my life is in his hands. You're going into a week this week, you know, listen, everything that happens in this week is in his hands. Everything. Some things you're going to consider to be good are going to happen, it's in his hands. Some things that you're not going to consider to be so good are going to happen this week, it's in his hands. Everything is in his hands. Don't, don't, don't look at your life... <laughs> as though you're on your own and you just intersect with God in certain moments of your life. No, everything that's going on in your life, he's involved in. Now, he's not forcing you to do what he wants you to do. He doesn't do that. See, he gave you free will, so he lets you choose to do what you, what you want to do. In this case, it's kind of interesting because he already told Israel, this is a bad idea. I'm telling you, this is a bad idea. It's going to cost you big. You're going to be sorry you did this. Uh, but you know what? They wanted it, so he said, okay, I'm going to do it. And he's going to take and he's going to orchestrate all the circumstances that it takes to bring to place what they've asked him to do. God's able. God is able. God is able to do it. God is actively working in your life and doing it. You know what that should do for us? That should lift our faith. That should rise up our faith. God is able to take care of me. That should help us with the troubles. You know, when something bad happens in your life, don't you tend to get frustrated and irritated and bothered? And why is this happening to me? Because God 
You say, but <clears throat> they're hard. Because God, nothing is wasted. Nothing in your life happens. God's involved in everything. God's involved in the minute details of his world and how it runs and what happens. God's involved. Do you know that a sparrow can't die until God says it's time for the sparrow to die? Isn't that amazing, isn't it? Do you mean, to, you know, if we were to put that in a picture for human beings, you know, every time a sparrow is about to die, somebody has to submit a form to God and say, can you sign that, please? Sparrow number 5,436 needs to die today. Can you sign that? And God actually looks at it and says, okay, or says, no, no, no I don't want to die today. Now, I know that's kind of a crazy picture. That, that, that's not the way it happens, but that's technically uh, what happens. Do, do you know that in your life, it's the same. Do you know that you can't even die till God says it's okay for you to die? You can't. We, we think we're in control of this. We're not in control of anything. You can't die. You can't do anything in your life apart from God. You know, if God doesn't give you, uh, does, doesn't sign off on it, nothing's going to happen in your life. You know what that should make us do? That should make us walk close to him. I want to know what he's doing in my life. I want to walk in the light like we talked about this morning. I want to be in the place where I know what God is doing and I can, and I, and I, I can be with him in what he's doing and I can cooperate with what he's doing. In my, I don't want to be you know, <clears throat> spending all my time off, off on tangents to what God is doing in my life. You know, <clears throat> and I've done plenty of that. I don't want to do that. I want, I, I want to be in line with what God wants for me to do. I want to be in the place where, where, where I'm able to see what he's doing and, and I, I'm working with him in what he's doing. Don't you? Here's Saul. Saul's out there. He has no idea. God's going to do something great in his life. Something amazing in his life. You know, <clears throat> and um, God's got it all planned and he works all things together. When that first keep coming up for us? For he works all things together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. He's going to work all things together for good for you this week. You know, you don't need to become a faithless. A faithless is somebody who's, who just wants to get over the hard things in life. But you do need to understand, nothing bad's going to happen in your life this week that God's not involved in. And that God's not got a good plan in. You see, we need to stop fussing and fighting with God because we don't like what he's doing and accept. This is the best thing, Lord. If you're doing it, this is the best thing in my life. But we need to understand God's intimately involved in your life. You know, don't you sometimes feel like, yeah, I, got, and I have my devotions in the morning, and I go out into the day, and you know what? It's just rush, 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 do, 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 go, 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 and I'm all on my own, and then I come back in the evening, and maybe I get to talk to God for a bit in the evening, but you know what? I'm all on my own the rest of the time. That's not true. That's a lie. You know what? <clears throat> He's with you. He's planning. He's working in your circumstances all the time. Gets exciting if you become aware of it. Gets to the place where you come to uh, where you come to see the difficulties and the problems not as obstacles to your happiness, but as blessings from His hand. Remember Saul in Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Paul in Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Remember him, he, the thorn in the flesh. Three times he asked the Lord to take it away. What does the Lord say? No. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. So what he does is he puts a completely different spin on it. God puts a completely different spin on it for Paul. Uh, and he says, Paul, I've put this in your life for a reason. It's a good reason, Paul. And you know what Paul does? 
Paul says, oh, well, if that's the case, then I'm going to glory in my infirmities. For, for my grace, is, his, his grace is made perfect in weakness. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. And Paul accepts. Now, you know what? If you can accept this week the difficulties God puts in your life and you can thank him for them, you can turn them around in your heart. I'm not saying you're going to change the actual difficulties, but you can turn them around in your heart. And you know what? If you're griping and complaining and fighting and moaning and fussing about the difficulties God's put in your way, you know what? What you're doing is you're fighting against God. You say, well, hang on. It wasn't God that did this. It was somebody else. No, nothing happens in your life apart from God allowing it for your good. Nothing. Somebody else may have done wrong, but God had to sign off on it, and he said, I want this to happen for your good. Nothing. Now, if we would really get that one, uh, come on board with that one and begin to understand God has a purpose for this in my life, Lord, help me to accept it and help me to find your purpose in it and do it. You see, everybody in this room has problems and issues. And you're going to have difficulties this week. Everybody in this room, you're going to have things that are going to come this week that are going, that are going to hit you, uh, that you, that you would rather not hit you. Right? Now, and what you're going to do is you're either going to face them with, you know, with a, no, I don't want this. Or you're going to face them with, well, Lord, if this is what you want in my life, then I'm taking it. But, Lord, I need the grace with it. And you see, that's what God said to Paul. God said to Paul, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. What was he saying to Paul? Paul, listen, I need you weakened in this area so that you can draw on my power. Because otherwise you'd run away with them. When God brings weakness into your life, he brings it into your life so that you can depend upon him. That's what God is doing. Because he's in charge of everything. Nothing is happening that God's not involved in. Now, um, really, we need to embrace that faith says that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, that he is at work in my life. That, uh, and you know, listen, I can trust him in it. And that can change how you feel about your circumstances. That can turn them around completely. Here's Saul, and he gives us a wonderful illustration uh, of the fact that God is in it. God is in all of it. Now, back to 1 Samuel. Verse 17 again, right? <clears throat> and when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake to thee of, his name, this same, shall reign over my people. And Saul drew near to Samuel at the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where the seer's house is. And Samuel answered Saul. Now, I'm not going to read all the rest of that chapter because there's, there's other stuff that we want to get. But, but, but what happens is Saul, uh, there's a party going on. The party's all about Saul. Do you know that? <clears throat> that everything is all set up because he's going to be anointed king. He's going to be anointed king. So down to chapter 10, um, that's the, this is the next morning. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Now, and then Samuel's going to do something very strange. He's going to tell Saul basically everything that's going to happen for the next few hours. Now, wouldn't that be kind of strange in your life? You know, if you came to somebody and they said, now, when you go out of this place and you walk down the road, uh, you're going to meet a man with one leg and <clears throat> you walk further down the road and a guy with a bicycle is going to fall off his bike in front of you. Wouldn't that be kind of strange? Wouldn't you wonder what was going on? Now, this is exactly what God is going to do uh, in Saul's life. Now, remember, Saul is 
Saul has not been looking for this. Saul knows nothing about this. This has all come upon him. Uh, you know, he's just been going about his business as a son uh, of Kish, and now, now he's got all these things that are, that are coming at him. And Samuel's going to prepare him for them by showing him God is with him. All right? <clears throat> when thou art departed from me today, then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin at Zelah, and they will say unto thee, The asses which thou wentest to seek are found, and lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses, and sorrow for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? Right? <clears throat> so God is going to fix his problem. Right? So as soon as you leave here, somebody's going to tell you the problem that you have on your heart right now, God's going to fix it. Do you know that God can fix your problems? Now, if I was Saul, I would have said, well, you know what, it would have been a whole lot better if you'd fixed it a few days ago. Why would you have to wait till now? It's not often the way we feel. When God finally fixes our problems, we often feel, yeah, well, why do I have to wait? Why was, it, why was there a problem uh, with it? I mean, God could have fixed it the first day. In fact, they didn't have to get lost at all. I've spent a whole week of my life wandering around uh, looking for asses, and God's able, to, God, God's able to fix it. Well, because God had a work to do in Saul when those asses were lost. God was doing something. He had a plan. Always remember, God's got a plan. God doesn't do things needlessly. He doesn't forget, and he doesn't come to the place where he's worn out and tired and he misses stuff. God had a plan. He was doing something in Saul's life, so Saul needed, <clears throat> needed uh, the asses to be lost for several days. There's something missing in your life that needs fixing, and it won't fix and you know, Saul tried everything he tried. He tried everything he could possibly do to find these asses. Couldn't find them. He just could not find them. And God found them for him in the end. God can fix it. But he won't fix it till he's ready. He won't fix it till he's ready. Now that doesn't absolve you from responsibility. Saul had to go. Saul had to look and be diligent in it. That was his responsibility. But you know what? He couldn't fix it till God was ready. And you'd remember that. You know what? Listen, God's in charge. God knew where those asses were all along, and he was in charge, and they weren't going to be fixed until God was ready. So, <clears throat> all right, verse 3. Then thou shalt go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor, and there uh, shall meet the three men going, there shall meet thee three men going up to God to Bethel, one carrying three kids, and another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute thee and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive at their hands. <coughs> right, so God's going to provide for you, Saul. God's going to give you food along the way. God's going to give you what you need. Do you know that God's able to take care of you? Don't we fuss and fret so often about how we're going to be taken care of, how we're going to be fed, how we're going to be looked after? Don't, don't we often come to the place where we're, where we're concerned about, well, well, who's going to take care of my needs? Who's going to look after me in this thing? God's able to look after your needs. You know, Saul's going to be king. God's telling him, Saul, I can fix your problems. Saul, I can take care of your needs. I can provide for you, Saul. You know, we, need, we need to know that God can provide for us. Because there's coming a time in every one of our lives when it's going to be only God that can provide for us. And the reality for us needs to be that we're actually in the place where we're willing to see that. God's not interested in you living your Christian life and being successful without him. God wants to be involved in it. And he wants you to know he's involved in it. And he wants you to know that he'll take care of you. 
You see, faith is a two-edged thing. Faith makes me feel comfortable because I'm taken care of. But faith pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. When I trust him, it pleases him. You know, when Abraham went up on the mountain to offer Isaac, God was pleased, but he got no sacrifice. He didn't get a sacrifice. Isaac wasn't sacrificed. What was he pleased with? Abraham's faith. See, it's always your faith. It's always when you trust, choose to trust God in the difficult time that pleases God. God says, I will take care of you. And you say, okay, Lord, you'll take care of me. I'll, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. I'm going to trust you to take care of me. We have a hard time with that. Right? But God wants to be known as the one that fixes our problems and, and the one that takes care of us. Um, <clears throat> verse 5, After that thou shalt come to the hill of God, and there... Uh, is the garrison of the Philistines, and it shall come to pass that when thou art come thither to the city, that thou shalt meet a company of prophets coming down from the high place with a psaltery and a tabret and a pipe and a harp before them, and they shall prophesy, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and they shall be, thou shalt be turned into another man. Now, <clears throat> Saul had a problem. Right? His problem was this. He was, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, you remember the tribe of Benjamin? They were the tribe that got wiped out because of the wickedness uh, with the concubine. There was just a few of them left. Well, that, that's where, where Saul comes from. So he's, he feels like, you know, he says that. He's one of the lowest of the low uh, as far as Israel is concerned. And <clears throat> he really doesn't have a lot of confidence in himself. And he's not able to do this, this, this king thing. And he's pretty sure he's not able to do this king thing. Uh, <clears throat> but what God says is, God, Saul, I'm going to give you power and i'm going to give you a new heart do you know that god never calls you to do anything without giving you the power to do it do you know that 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 god never calls you to do it and leaves you to uh to do it by yourself that when god brings something into your life he says i will give you power to do it now you can't have the power if you won't accept that god's in it and god's working in it it's only when you accept God has put this in my life and God, is, well, God will give me power to do it that you can actually rejoice in what God is doing in your life. But God is working in your life and God will give you power to do it. Saul gets power to do <clears throat> what God wants him to do, right? Uh, and let it be when these signs are come upon thee that thou shalt do as occasions serve thee for God is with thee. You know what the whole purpose of it is? The purpose, purpose of it is to prove to this new king, God is with you, Saul. Because he's going to have some tests. And his tests are going to be, can he really trust God in the situation? Now, let's skip over. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> come to verse 19. Okay, Samuel calls the, the nation of Israel together to anoint the king. Um, look at verse 19. And ye have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adversar- as ver- adversities and your tribulations. And ye have said to him, Nay, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near, their families, uh, in their families the family of Matri was taken. And... Uh, <clears throat> Saul, the son of Kish, was taken, and when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further, uh, if the man should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. Saul was hiding. 
but they, they, they come to anoint him uh, as king and Saul is in hiding. And they ran and fetched him thence, and when they stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upwards. And Samuel said unto the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, and there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom, and wrote it in a book, and laid it, upon the Lord, laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. But the children of Belial said, How shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Right? So he's been anointed king. Uh, he's God's choice. God has worked all of this out. And some of the people have accepted him and some have rejected him. All right? Now, <clears throat> to chapter 11. I know we're covering a lot tonight, uh, but it's going to set us up for next week as well. But you need to see this here. Right? <clears throat> um, Chapter 11, verse 1. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve thee. Right? So uh, Nahash the Ammonite came up and <clears throat> he was a stronger army than the, those of Jabesh Gilead. And um, <clears throat> the nation of Israel had promised to take care of these people. And he said, Make a covenant with us and we will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered, and, answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you that I may thrust out all your right eyes and lay it for a reproach upon all Israel. <laughs> that's a pretty costly covenant, isn't it? Isn't, isn't that a pretty costly covenant? He was going to, he was going to put, put out all their right eyes uh, <clears throat> just, to, just to show Israel who, who was boss. Right? <clears throat> so that's a pretty costly covenant. That's, that's, that, that's totally unacceptable. You know, they were willing to make a deal with them uh, and let him rule over them, but, but that was totally acceptable. Now, I want you to skip on to verse 6 there. Um, Saul hears about this. <clears throat> and the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard these, those tidings, and his anger was greatly kindled. Right? <clears throat> now, Saul is the king. He's been set up as the king, but you know what? There's no court. There's no king. There's, there's not much going on as far as a king is concerned. So God provides him with an opportunity. And when Sa Saul hears about <clears throat> what the, the fact that they want to put out all the rice, he gets upset. He gets angry. By the way, we need to keep this in mind. Not all anger is wrong. Do you realize that the Spirit of God came upon him and he got angry? There's a time for actually doing things, and the Spirit of God can be involved in those things. Sometimes, you know, we get the idea uh, that all anger is wrong, and therefore it could never be right uh, for someone to be angry. No, it can be right for somebody to be anger, angry. It can be of God. God gets angry. Now, I don't think we know much about spiritual anger, but there are, there, are, there are times when we need to say, that's not happening. That's not happening because it's an offense to God. You know, <clears throat> so Saul gets angry. His anger was kindled greatly, and he took a yoke of oxen, and he hewed them in pieces, and he sent them throughout all the coasts of Israel by the hands of the messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and, and Samuel, so let it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out, came out with one consent. And when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said unto the messengers that came, Thus shall ye say unto the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow by that, that time the sun be hot, ye shall have help. And the messengers came and showed it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out unto you, that you may do 
with us all that seemeth good unto you. And it was so on the morrow that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the host in the morning, watch, and slew the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it came to pass that that which remained, that they which remained were scattered so that two of them were not left together. So they completely routed the army. Completely routed the army. And the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. And Saul said, There shall not be, there shall not a man be put to death this day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. Then said Samuel unto the people, Come, and let us go to Gilgal, and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal, and there they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. All right, a couple of things, and then we're done, right? First of all, um, we've seen that God's in control of the details of our lives. Now, don't just put that on Bible times and on Saul. God is in control of the details of life. Second thing we're seeing is this is, this is not what God wanted. Do you know that God had a better plan for Israel than a king? This is not what God wanted, but they pushed, and God said, okay, you can have it. Be very careful that you don't push God into giving you something that you want that he doesn't want for you. If God holds out on you, he's got a reason for holding out on you. If God says no to you, he's got a reason for saying no to you. If God takes something away that you think you absolutely have to have, he's got a reason for it. You know, it would help us enormously if we could have a submissive spirit towards the working of God in our lives. You know, Saul's not going to demonstrate that. We're going to see Saul mess up royally, rapidly. Uh, We're going to see him mess up. You know, know one of the characters that's quite amazing in the Bible is Eli. Now, Eli doesn't deal with his sons. And because he doesn't deal with his sons, God sends a message through Samuel and tells him, Eli, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take both your boys in one day and make everybody's ears tingle because you, because you didn't restrain them. You didn't, you didn't have them uh, do what they were supposed to do because you honored them above me. And you know what Eli says? Eli says, it is the Lord. If God's going to do it, then there's nothing I can do about it. Now, it sounds a bit lame. But you know what? It's actually right by that point. By that point, there is nothing he can do about it. He could have done something about it before. But he says that there's no point in him fighting with the Lord. Do you know there's no point in you fighting with the Lord? When God brings something into your life, whether you like it or not, embrace it. It's hard, you say. Some of these things I don't want in my life. Embrace it. It is the Lord. You see, you can't have grace and fight him at the same time. You can't have his blessing and have his presence and, 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 and rejoice in him if, if you're going to be in the place where you're standing against him. It's, it's just not possible. And you see, the thing is, if you can embrace what God is doing in your life, you can draw down grace. And like Paul, you can glory in your infirmities. You can rejoice in what God is doing in your life. You see, you can have his presence when you accept what he's doing in your life. But when you fight against it and stand against it and don't want it and complain and moan and reject, you know what's happening in your life? You're fighting against God and you can't get grace from the person you're fighting against. The person you need most is the one you're holding at arm's length. You know, we've got to accept what God is doing in our lives. Yeah, I don't always like what God does in my life, neither do you. But you know what? He's always right. And he always does the best thing. 
So be careful when you pound the doors of heaven and demand from God that he do something for you. Because it might not be the thing you want at all when it comes down. Israel are going to rue the day they ever asked for a king. They are going to rue the day. They are going to be sorry. There's going to be murder, mayhem, and slaughter in Israel. There's going to be a nation that gets removed from the land because they asked for a king. Be careful what you ask God for. He might just give it to you. He might just do it in your life. Much better for us to embrace what God is doing in our lives. Much better for us to actually take on board what God is doing and say, yes, Lord. You say, but that sounds lame. No, that's actually the place of blessing. When you come to the place where you submit to God and say, yes, Lord. You see, God can't bring you out of it until you come to the place where you accept it. You've got to accept it. You've got to give thanks in all things. Don't fight God. <clears throat> Third thing is this, right? God is able to vindicate his will. Now, here's what we see. God's permissive will. God gives in to them. But you know, when God gives in to them and says he's going to give them a king, it becomes his will that they should have a king. And you say, how does that work? I don't know. I don't understand that, right? <clears throat> you know, it wasn't the best thing for them. They demanded it. God gave it to them. So God gets fully behind it, and so does Samuel. They get fully behind this king thing, and God vindicates his king. When God calls you to do something, and, <clears throat> you know, in a sense, I mean, Saul's not a bad person. Definitely at this point in the game, he's not a bad person. You know, It was a bad choice for Israel, but Saul's not a bad person, and he's got lots of potential at this point in the game. And what God does is God says, listen, he's my choice for for king. Uh, God orchestrates the circumstances to get him there. He has him anointed with oil, and then he vindicates his man. He shows him, listen, I can provide for you, Saul. I can fix your problems. I can give you power, Saul. I will be with you. Listen, don't worry about it. Uh, As long as you're with me, Saul, I'm going to be with you, and you're going to be fine. You're going to be okay. God is able to vindicate Uh, his will. He's able to say, yes, this is my person. When God calls you to do something, it may look impossible to you, but God's able to do it. God's able to bring you through it. You see, we're way too focused on circumstances and what's happening and what we can do and what we can see and not enough focused on God and what God wants us to do. And when we do get focused on God, it's very easy for us to go off into airy fairyland thinking God's going to do all nice, good things, happy things in my life. You know what? God could never make you what he wants you to be if he was going to do all happy things in your life. He's going to have to do hard things, tough things, to bring you to the place where you're actually uh, in the place where you can see him and see the reality of his hand and his power in your life. So when God's doing tough things in your life, accept them. And understand, he can bring you through. And the darkest day can become beautiful when you accept. He can bring me through. I'm okay. You see, remember the clear promise that God gives you. He doesn't promise you money and wealth. He doesn't promise you happiness. He doesn't promise you all the things that you ask. But you know what he does promise you? He says, I will not leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. That's what God promised. Do you know what happens, though, when we fight against God? 
We lose the sense of his presence. We reject him. And what you need is you need his presence. Let's go to the Lord. Father, would you bless us tonight? Lord, we've covered a lot of stuff. But Lord, would you bless your people, Lord? Well, we know you're able to take care of us and we know you're able to look after us even in bad, hard, difficult situations. Help us to accept that from you. And Lord, help us to trust you so that we're not looking for things we want above what you want for us, but that, Lord, we're actually looking to you and expecting you to do that which is right and good and helpful in our lives, even when it doesn't seem the best. And, Lord, may we rejoice in your presence. May we enjoy the fact that you are with us, even on the darkest days in our lives. And, Lord, we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.